0: sentence of a legal tribunal had but confirmed the verdict of public sentiment. But in that early severity of the Puritan character an inference of this kind could not so indubitably be drawn. It might be that a sluggish bond servant, or an undutiful child whom his parents had given over to the civil authority was to be corrected at the whipping-post. It might be that an antinomian, a Quaker, or other heterodox religionist was to be scourged out of the town, or an idle and vagrant Indian, whom the white man's firewater had made riotous about the streets, was to be driven with stripes into the shadow of the forest. It might be, too, that a witch, like old Mistress Hibbins, the bitter-tempered widow of the magistrate, was to die upon the gallows. In either case, there was very much the same solemnity of demeanor on the part of the spectators, as befitted a people amongst whom religion and law were almost identical, and in whose character both were so thoroughly interfused that the mildest and severest acts of public discipline were alike made venerable and awful. Meagre, indeed, and cold was the sympathy that a transgressor might look for from such bystanders at the scaffold. On the other hand, a penalty which in our days would infer a degree of mocking infamy and ridicule, might then be invested with almost as stern a dignity as the punishment of death itself. It was a circumstance to be noted, on the summer morning when our story begins its course, that the woman, of whom there were several in the crowd, appeared to take a peculiar interest in whatever penal infliction might be expected to ensue. The age had not so much refinement that any sense of impropriety, restrain the wearers of petticoat and farthingale from stepping forth into the public ways, and wedging their not unsubstantial persons, if occasion were, into the throng nearest to the scaffold at an execution. Morally, as well as materially, there was a coarser fibre in those wives and maidens of old English birth and breeding than in their fair descendants, separated from them by a series of six or seven generations, for, throughout that chain of ancestry, Every successive mother has transmitted to her child a fainter bloom, a more delicate and briefer beauty, and a slighter physical frame, if not a character of less force and solidity than her own. The women who were now standing about the prison door stood within less than half a century of the period when the man-like Elizabeth had been the not altogether unsuitable representative of the sex. They were her countrywomen and the beef and ale of their native land, with a moral diet not a whit more refined, entered largely into their composition. The bright morning sun, therefore, shone on broad shoulders and well-developed busts, and on round and ruddy cheeks that had ripened in the far-off island, and had hardly yet grown paler or thinner in the atmosphere of New England. There was, moreover, a boldness and rotundity of speech among these matrons, as most of them seemed to be. That would startle us at the present day, whether in respect to its purport or its volume of tone.
1: Good wives,
0: said a hard-featured dame of fifty,
1: I'll tell ye a piece of my mind. It would be greatly for the public behoof if we women, being of mature age and church members in good repute, should have the handling of such malefactresses as this Hester Prynne. What think ye gossip's? "'If the hussy stood up for judgment before us five, that are now here and are not together, "'would she come off with such a sentence as the worshipful magistrates have awarded? "'Marry, I trow not.' "'People say,' said another, "'that the Reverend Master Dimmesdale, her goodly pastor, "'takes it very grievously to heart that such a scandal should have come upon his congregation.' The magistrates are God-faring gentlemen, but merciful overmuch, that is a truth.
0: Added a third autumnal matron.
1: At the very least, they should have put the brand of a hot iron on Hester Prynne's forehead. Madame Hester would have winced at that, I warrant me. But she, the naughty baggage, little will she care what they put upon the bodice of her gown. Why, look you, she may cover it up with a brooch, or such-like heathenish adornment, and so walk the streets as brave as ever. Ah, but...
0: "'Interposed more softly a young wife holding a child by the hand.
1: "'Let her cover the mark as she will. "'The pang of it will be always in her heart.' "'What do we talk of marks and brands, "'whether on the bodice of her gown or the flesh of her forehead?' "'cried
0: another female, the ugliest as well as the most pitiless "'of these self-constituted judges.
1: "'This woman has brought shame upon us all and ought to die. "'Is there not law for it? "'Truly there is, both in the scripture and the statute book.' than that the magistrates who have made it of no effect thank themselves if their own wives and daughters go astray.
0: "'Mercy on us, good wife!' exclaimed a man in the crowd. "'Is there no virtue in women, save what springs from a wholesome fear of the gallows? "'That is the hardest word yet. "'Hush now, gossips, for the lock is turning in the prison door, "'and here comes Mistress Prynne herself.' The door of the jail being flung open from within... There appeared, in the first place, like a black shadow emerging into sunshine, the grim and grisly presence of the town-beetle, with a sword by his side, and his staff of office in his hand. This personage prefigured and represented in his aspect the whole dismal severity of the Puritanic Code of Law, which it was his business to administer in its final and closest application to the offender. Stretching forth the official staff in his left hand, he laid his right upon the shoulder of a young woman, whom he thus drew forward, until on the threshold of the prison door she repelled him by an action marked with natural dignity and force of character, and stepped into the open air as if by her own free will. She bore in her arms a child, a baby of some three months old, who winked and turned aside its little face from the too vivid light of day, because its existence heretofore had brought it acquainted only with the gray twilight of a dungeon or other darksome apartment of the prison. When the young woman, the mother of this child, stood fully revealed before the crowd, it seemed to be her first impulse to clasp the infant closely to her bosom, not so much by an impulse of motherly affection as that she might thereby conceal a certain token which was wrought or fastened into her dress. In a moment, however, wisely judging that one token of her shame would but poorly serve to hide another, she took the baby on her arm, and with a burning blush and yet a haughty smile and a glance that would not be abashed, looked around at her townspeople and neighbors. On the breast of her gown, in fine red cloth, surrounded with an elaborate embroidery and fantastic flourishes of gold thread, appeared the letter A. It was so artistically done, and with so much fertility and gorgeous luxuriance of fancy, that it had all the effect of a last and fitting decoration to the apparel which she wore, and which was of a splendor in accordance with the taste of the age, but greatly beyond what was allowed by the sumptuary regulations of the colony. The young woman was tall, with a figure of perfect elegance on a large scale. She had dark and abundant hair, so glossy that it threw off the sunshine with a gleam, and a face which, besides being beautiful from regularity of feature and richness of complexion, had the impressiveness belonging to a marked brow and deep black eyes. She was ladylike, too, after the manner of the feminine gentility of those days, characterized by a certain state and dignity rather than by the delicate, evanescent, and indescribable grace which is now recognized as its indication. And never had Hester Prynne appeared more ladylike in the antique interpretation of the term than as she issued from the prison. Those who had before known her and had expected to behold her dimmed and obscured by a disastrous cloud were astonished and even startled to perceive how her beauty shone out and made a halo of the misfortune and ignominy in which she was enveloped. It may be true that to a sensitive observer there was something exquisitely painful in it. Her attire, which indeed she had wrought for the occasion in prison, and had modelled much after her own fancy, seemed to express the attitude of her spirit, the desperate recklessness of her mood, by its wild and picturesque peculiarity. But the point which drew all eyes, and, as it were, transfigured the wearer, so that both men and women who had been familiarly acquainted with Esther Prynne were now impressed as if they beheld her for the first time, was that scarlet letter, so fantastically embroidered and illuminated upon her bosom. It had the effect of a spell, taking her out of the ordinary relations with humanity and enclosing her in a sphere by herself
1: she hath good skill at her needle that's certain
0: remarked one of her female spectators
1: but did ever a woman before this brazen hussy contrive such a way of showing it